Hey everyone, and welcome to the Refield Team Fairchild Podcast. I'm your host, Master Sergeant Lance Haas. Our goal with this podcast is for Team Fairchild to get to know each other, our support programs, and to increase our sense of community and development. Every episode, we'll be interviewing people from around the base and learning about them, as well as their keys to success. Hey everybody, on this episode, we are sitting down with the 92nd Air Refueling Wing Commander, Colonel Salmon. Sir, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks, Lance. Thanks for the time here this morning. Really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the time as well. I know, obviously, if there's anybody that's busy on this base, it's you. So any of the classes that we put on, you know, whether it's the FTAC, NCOP, senior NCOP, you've always been very accommodating of your time, very personable, helped develop whatever it is, whatever those students are. You've always done a great job of, of giving of your time and of your perspective. So I really just I appreciate the opportunity especially since uh, my time in the seat is a little bit limited. So the greedy part of me wants to sit down and talk with as many people as possible before I, before I have to give it up, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I appreciate these uh, this time and these efforts, your efforts to kind of expand these discussions across, across the base. Yeah. So before we get into the leadership side of this, everybody kind of wants to know, how did you get here? Was it you know, just kind of walk us through your, your upbringing, whatever you want to share of how you got to this point. Were you always, you know, a goal of, yeah, I'm going to be a wing commander and then I'm going to do X, Y, or Z, or did it just kind of fall into it? What's, what's the story there? Well, I, I always knew that I wanted to serve. I, I grew up in, in Dallas, Texas, just outside of Dallas. I am a third generation Air Force. And, wow. Uh, my 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 dad served as a pilot in the Air Force. Both my my grandfather served in the Army Air Corps in World War II. One was a weather officer, and another was a uh, a, a hydraulic troop uh, in maintenance. Okay. And so I just I grew up uh, not necessarily in a military family, like I'd say that that my kids are experienced right now. But I okay. I, I always knew that that. Uh, uh, I was interested in, in flying. I was interested in, in the opportunity to serve something bigger than myself. And I go back to, I, I appreciate what uh, the Chief of Staff of the Air Force, General Goldfein, says. He says, I joined for the airplanes and I stayed for the people. And I think that's, <laughs> uh, that's really been my experience, too. And uh, so I uh, first entered the Air Force Academy out of, out of high school. That kind of okay. started my, my journey about 25 years ago now. So four years at the Academy and and then uh, been 21 years in active duty, flying mostly mobility airplanes. So with the academy thing, was that always a goal or was it, hey, looking at your opportunities, hey, this is this seems like a cool one, let's try for that? Or It, it, it really always was a goal. Just uh, I, I think most folks, uh, most airmen join the military, or most folks join the military really to, to challenge themselves, to... Mm to to continually push themselves and and that's what I knew coming out of out of high school that's what the academy would do it would it's a great academic institution it's a great uh, military setting and uh, I, I, I I really sought that challenge and and, and, and certainly the academy delivered so it, <laughs> uh, it, it, it uh, made it challenging but uh, I, I I built lasting friendships there I, I learned a lot about myself I learned uh, that really this Air Force was something that I wanted to be a part of. That's awesome. So from there, what happened? So uh, from from the Academy, I was uh, fortunate enough to, to get a pilot slot. I went down to Laughlin Air Force Base in Texas okay. for uh, undergraduate pilot training. From there, I, I received an assignment 
to the KC-135 at uh, Warner Robins Air Force Base, Robins Air Force Base in Warner Robins, Georgia. So that was my first assignment, uh, 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 flying as a lieutenant, later as a captain. I always think about it. It was uh, it's pretty quiet at the time. The first couple of years I was there, I got there in 2000. I was a, a young lieutenant just trying to learn the plane. We were going through a transition, so I didn't fly very much. And then certainly everything changed on uh, September 11th, 2001, mm-hmm. and uh, and, and, and that was, uh, that was really exciting because when, when I joined the Air Force, all I, I really wanted to do was to be part of a, an, an operational squadron, you know, doing something that had an impact. And uh, uh, certainly after 9-11, I had that opportunity. So I was talking to Colonel McCarthy the other day for this, and he has a crazy story about being a, a young lieutenant. I think he was doing an internship in D.C. on 9-11, and it completely changed. On that day, when you were in Robbins, can you walk us through that at all? or Because that's always that's got to be a good story. Yeah. It's, uh, well, I, I do, and in, in, I think like most of us remember those those times, although it's been interesting for me. Is in, so we've done 9-11 memorials, and, and I stand out there, and typically we have defenders out there in and, and, and the fire department, Mm-hmm. And I turn and I ask, hey, wh- where were you on uh, 9-11? And, and increasingly the answers are kindergarten, first grade. <laughs> uh, <the> ho- <laughs> yeah, I can see here uh, some reactions. But uh, it was, as I, as I mentioned previously, there was, our, our unit was going through a transition. So I wasn't necessarily flying as much as maybe uh, other units. Certainly Fairchild was flying more than we were down at, down at Robbins. Okay. But... Uh, uh, I, w- I was volunteering to run what we called the, the Outback Olympics. We were uh, basically where, where the way the base was laid out in Robbins. The, the KC-135s and the J-Stars were on the back part of the base, and it was called the Outback. And so we are going to compete against each other in a series of, uh, of sporting events, kind of a, a wingman day, resiliency day, before we really use those terms. Okay. But uh, so I was out there uh, setting up. The uh, helping kind of direct where the stage was and some of the the uh, the different pieces, and I was waiting for a couple of casual lieutenants. I was a, a first lieutenant at the time. We had a couple of second lieutenants there. I was waiting for them to come help me, and they showed up. And I remember one of them saying, "Hey, just just really strange. Uh, a plane has hit the the World Trade Center." And, and thinking, oh, that's that's odd. But my initial reaction was a small light plane that uh, was maybe going around New York City. And then uh, one of the uh, members helping us had a radio, and it went over the radio, just an immediate report back to your, your squad and report back to your, your workstation yeah. that, uh, uh, you know, a little bit more was uh, was understood. And so raced back to, to the flying squadron, 99th Air Refueling Squadron at the time, with the TV on with the with CNN and I think all the images we've all seen at that point the squadron was just a, a beehive of activity we were uh, everyone was going different directions those who were scheduled to fly that day were, were up in the air providing some of the combat air patrols that uh, we would start to do over the next few days and uh, I didn't I didn't actually fly on 9-11 but, but flew in the days afterwards and I remember that was one of the most surreal experiences flying over 
over Atlanta, where if, if you ever listen in on the radio traffic, you can hardly get a word in edgewise because there's so much traffic going on as, as airliners are coming in. But I remember flying there one night and there was not a sound out there because it was essentially basically the tankers and the, the fighters were the only aircraft that were, were airborne over Atlanta. So that's when those are some of those moments where it really, really, uh, really struck home about what, what we were doing. And then, uh, then just a few sh- short weeks later, deployed out as part of the initial wave for Operation Enduring Freedom, which, uh, again, as a young lieutenant, I, I often tell those classes, uh, FTAC, that I, that I talk to, you know, I'd never been out of the country before I, I joined the Air Force. I'd never, never been anywhere else. And I think now I've been to uh, 30, 35 different countries, and, and so I... I appreciated that opportunity that the Air Force has given to, to see some of these different cultures, but, but it was also part of being a, a uh, being part of something bigger than myself. Wow. So after you went on your deployments, kind of how did you get from there to here? Yeah. So uh, just to, uh, real, real briefly, was it at, uh, at Robbins for, for four years? And so we had it, uh, Operation Enduring Freedom, then Operation Iraqi Freedom. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, in, invasion of Iraq. Uh, from there, I, I was fortunate enough to to get a internship program up in the, at the Pentagon in Washington D.C. So I went to grad school for a year, and then was able to work on on the staff there to kind of see how some of the decisions are made at at, uh, at the higher levels. And that was that was an incredible opportunity as a as a young captain yeah. uh, to to work with the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Some of the other key leaders up there. From there, I I, uh, I cross flew to the C five at Dover, Delaware, which I flew for four years to see a little bit more of the airlift side. I had done the tanker side of, of mobility operations. From there, I uh, uh, ended up going to school in at Montgomery for a year. Then I deployed for a year over to Al Ud, working in the uh, the Air Operations Center, and then traveling really throughout uh, a lot of the region. Came back to Dover for squadron command, then had the opportunity to go up to, to Boston for a, a year with a, a fellowship at Harvard, which was an, wow. which is an awesome opportunity. And then uh, from there, over to Mildenhall as the uh, operations group commander, and then here to Fairchild for the past uh, 15 months. So very, very fortunate, very blessed with a lot of the opp- opportunities we had. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Going to Harvard, wow. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> well, I, I would say that's great. It, it, was, it was a great opportunity for a year just to, to be exposed to, to different ways of thinking, to different, different perspectives. I was in a, a group of, of PhD students. There was about 30 in our, in our group, in our cohort, and we each presented some of the research that we were doing and, uh, and, and really kind of learned about different aspects of national security. But I always laugh because uh, one one of the, the the classmates I worked with was uh, an Israeli PhD student. He was he was brilliant. He'd been in the U.S. had been at Harvard for for uh, for a few years, and so I asked him. I said, "Hey, what's what's the which what's, what's your key takeaway? What what have you uh, really pulled out here?" And he said, "You know, the one thing I've really learned." Happy wife, happy life, and and, uh, and so I think it speaks to that balance that we want to get to sometimes too. So that's always kind of stuck with me. So yeah, it doesn't matter your education level; some of the basics really hold true. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, so 
We have some questions to kind of hit down to get into the leadership and your perspective on stuff. What do you wish you would have known or understood earlier in life? I think what I've come to really value uh, in particular is I've become more experienced or had, had more life experiences that really to, to try to live in the moment. Sometimes we, it, we, we want to plan everything out and we want to, we set goals. And, and that's something I, I talk to, to really anybody I mentor. It's incredibly important to set goals and to have aspirations and to have things that you want to work for. But sometimes those, we can put too much focus on that. And we, we miss those everyday moments that, uh, that really make life so enriching. And I, I, I try to do that with my, with my family. You know, when we take pictures, we all take pictures at those at graduations or at those significant moments. But I've always enjoyed just taking pictures on a Saturday morning just to see what our life was like. And, uh, and, and those are those moments that make me, make me smile. And so I, sometimes it, I, just, just being, being here, living in the now, uh, appreciating what we have in the now, soaking it all in because mm-hmm. it, it, it's uh, we don't always have that, and sometimes you can be too focused on on where you want to get to that you you really miss life as it goes by. So that's got to be extremely amplified for your current position because outside looking in, I don't know how anybody up at this level survives because it seems like there's a fire hose and you better start drinking, and so it, it kind of seems like you're. What I got out of that is you've really found a, a work-life balance sort of thing in these extremely busy positions. Is that kind of accurate or is that? I, I, I would say it, it, it kind of is to, to answer <laughs> that. Uh, and, and it's always a work in progress. And uh, I, I've worked with other folks, uh, you know, like uh, Colonel Guerrero, our, our previous med group commander. She never used the term work-life balance because that implies we can get this balance, oh, okay. but it, yeah. it's yeah. it's more of a work life integration, and and I think that's really really how it how it uh, how it has to be. There's a, I don't know if you've heard the the pick three theory uh, on leadership, yeah. and I think it's I think it's Cheryl Zuckerberg. Don't, okay. don't quote me on that, but but bottom line, she says there are five things you can do on any given day, it and it's uh, uh, professional, family, sleep workout hobbies but on, on any given day you can only only do three of those oh. and so uh, I, I don't know that I 100% agree with her but I, I think there's some validity to that, that right, you right. Can't, her, the, her, her book is you can you can have it all just not all the time so you have to make those choices picking picking those three whether it's going to be professional family and sleep whether it's going to be <laughs> sleep working out family uh, that that balance. So, w- what I found is that I just have to be very deliberate about about working working the professional side. I'm very deliberate about working the family side, and I'm I'm very blessed with a family that's uh, incredibly supportive. My three kids, our three kids, have had a totally different experience than my wife or I have had. We both grew up mm-hmm. in one place. I grew up in outside of Dallas. She grew up outside the Twin Cities, but. But from from kindergarten up through high school, we were in one location where our kids have been to all those places I named, mm-hmm. Dover, Boston, England. Uh, again, going back to I hadn't been outside the country until I was 
25 and in the Air Force. My, uh, my, my kids have been out when, when they were 10 and, and, uh, and, and in, in that time frame. So, but having to be deliberate on, on seeking that balance there mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and really making those priorities, making, making family a priority too. I love but, it. But it's always a work in progress. So you can't ever, can't ever declare success because it's, it's a, you just have to keep at it. Well, that's an important thing for, I think, everybody to hear from, from you. You know, if we all have, have stuff and we're like, oh my gosh, you know, you could, if you're not careful, you can really beat yourself up for why am I not perfect yet? Why am I not, you know, don't, why don't I have this figured out? And that's not, that's that, from what you're saying, that's not the goal. Just understand it's, you just keep on working at it. And I love that. And, 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 and that's really the case. And I, I'd like to think the Air Force has gotten better about that. I think that's part of the resiliency, the re- resiliency tactical pause that we've been doing. You, mm-hmm. you really see in what resonates the most with me, and I think I would say probably with most other airmen, when you can see leaders saying, yes, I've struggled with this, or uh, yeah, I've had times in my life where we are all human. They're all things that uh, we wish we were better at, that we wish we could uh, uh, could handle better. And, uh, and and so I think these discussions are positive. I think that's been a positive trend in the Air Force over the past few years that we can feel more comfortable. You don't have to be perfect all the time. You don't have to... Uh, everything doesn't work out all the time. And I'm always amazed if you look at some of the Many of the senior leaders, for example, Admiral Mullen was uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs mm-hmm. of Staff uh, 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 a few uh, chairmen ago. And one of his stories that he tells when he was a young ensign, so, uh, you, you know, an 03, his boat hit a, hit a buoy out in, in the harbor, which in the Navy, that's, that's a basically a career, career ender. But people saw potential in him, and, and he learned from his mistake and so what, what could have ended at the, his career could have ended at roughly the four-year point and it had gone on for the next 40 years. He learned from it. And I think those are, those are powerful stories that we need to, to keep, keep telling and, and keeping aware of. Yeah, that's absolutely. How do you define success? I, I think success, you define it differently for, for every person. And uh, really, when I look at success, I, I really compete against myself. And, and I think that's really the measure that you have to have because uh, sometimes you, you can drive yourself crazy trying to compete with every, everybody else. And I, I know that's a, a little bit of the culture we have here in the military, in the Air Force. Everybody mm-hmm. is racked and stacked. Everybody gets a stratification. Mm-hmm. And, and there's some, there's some, that's positive in some ways. That's mm-hmm. how we get better. I've had people at other assignments that uh, I measure myself against and, and it motivates me and it pushes me. To, to try to be better. I want to, uh, you know, that person is, is, a, is a really great pilot. That person is a really great officer. They're a great speaker. And so I think that that's positive. But ultimately, I just try to, try to, to measure against myself. Am I, am I giving my all? Am I the best leader I can be? Am I the best husband I can be? Am I the best father I can be? And uh, that's really where I, at the end of the day, want to look back and and have no regrets and say, hey, I, I, I gave it my all. And at that point, I can be satisfied. To me, that's that's success. I love that you did not put perfection in that. You gave it your all. And how the cards fall is how they fall. But you Absolutely. Did, yeah, that's awesome. What do you think has made you successful? I think 
I think anybody who's who's had a degree of success will, will, will point if they're honest, they'll know that they didn't do it all by themselves. And, and I'm certainly there. I've had great mentors along the way. I've been a part of great teams. You know, I'm, I'm amazed here at, at, at Team Fairchild. I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate. I feel fortunate that a, a lot of times in, in my role here, I can be the face of Team Fairchild. I can be the representative yeah. of Team Fairchild. But it, that gives me the platform to brag about all the great things that this team does. And uh, I'm, I'm always very grateful, very thankful for that. So, so being a part of this team, I think that all comes into, into, into success. I've had, I've had people that uh, uh, have been honest in sharing what's worked for them and, and, and maybe things that they would change. And, and trying to take all of that in has been very positive. As I mentioned before, I have a, have a great family that are incredibly supportive. Not just my immediate family, my parents were, were always incredibly supportive. And uh, my, as I mentioned, my dad was in the Air Force. And I remember the advice that, that he gave me when, again, I was a young lieutenant and, and in some ways trying to figure out what I was doing going, going forward. And he, it's simple, but its attitude is everything. And, uh, yeah. uh, and sometimes those most simple, uh, simple pieces of advice are the ones that, that resonate. And, and ever since then, I've always just tried to keep that attitude that uh, keep that positive attitude because it's, it's it's a force multiplier. So I think that's what uh, General Powell will say, right? If you're optimistic, optimism is a force multiplier. And, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, so I think that's fed into the success too. I was listening to a different podcast the other day and they were going into that of, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you have, you have that clean slate. And so you have the choice without any external inputs of where your happiness meter is or where your positivity right. meter is. Yeah. So what do you have to lose if you normally wake up at a four by kicking it up to a six? It's, it doesn't cost you anything. So it's, I love that you mentioned that because it's it's so true. It, it, it is. And one of the things I really love about this job, uh, being here uh, at the wing and being here at Fairchild right now, is I get so much energy off of this team off of the, the airmen off of the civilians off of the families in particular it's been a it's been a busy time for Fairchild uh, this year but in particular uh, from the air show from mobility guardian from this last exercise this week but uh, it's it's really it's really awesome to see just th- those people that are positive and uh, around the wing and doing great things and and looking for ways they can Continue to add value that that inspires me to to give a little bit more to awesome what's the greatest lesson that you've learned i think the greatest lesson i've learned is is that it all works out in the end and uh, i tell that to my kids all the time because uh like anything they in and they've worked their way through the teenage years and and i've got my youngest is, is coming into the in teenage years but you know some and it almost goes back to that you know, being mindful, mm-hmm. living in the moment. But the more experience I've had, I've just seen that things have always worked out in the end, even if that's not how I planned for them to go. <laughs> even if that's not, wasn't according to, to how I thought this should have played out. But uh, it's encouraging folks to, to take that long view too, to, 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 to be grateful, to recognize the blessings that we have in our, in our lives. But just mm-hmm. to know that and ultimately, even if, uh, if it takes a left turn here, life takes a left turn or, or a right turn when you think it should have been left, that it, it all kind of works out. 
and, and particularly if you take the time to appreciate where you are and, and, and the things that you have, whether it's family or mm-hmm. friends or the opportunity to serve, uh, th- those things are all great. But that's always worked for me. And uh, it doesn't mean I don't have to remind myself of that too sometimes <laughs> when, uh, when we all share those frustrations that, that come across in, in, in life. But, but for me, that's just been a lesson that's worked that in, in the end, everything works out in the end. So true. You might not like the way it worked out, but it does work out. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. What are you learning now? You know, every day is a learning learning experience for me. And uh, uh, I, I really value that. And I think that's one of the things as leaders, we should, we should never lose that curiosity. Mm-hmm. And we should also never lose that ability to, to, to say, I may not have all the information. Again, as we stepped through the exercise this week, it was really rewarding for me to look around the room and, and when we're talking about installation security, I have my own thoughts or, or maybe the direction I want to go, but I turn to the defenders and they are the, the experts in that. Yeah. And I came across, I, I, I left there having learned things that challenged assumptions that I had or that uh, mm-hmm. uh, maybe gave me a different way of looking at things. And, and I, I absolutely really appreciate that and, and, and value that. I think really leading at this level, leading at any level, it's all about relationships, mm-hmm. but, but even more so the higher you get up because you are a little bit more removed from, from the actual day-to-day making things happen at a very tactical level. Mm-hmm. So I spend the majority of my day uh, building relationships, maintaining relationships, sometimes fixing relationships, <laughs> sometimes helping others to fix relationships or, or maintain or to build so uh, that's a skill set that, that you kind of learn over time. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you, you learn how to, how to maintain relationships the hard way by, by when things <laughs> don't go right. And sometimes those are, those are the lessons we, we, uh, we remember the most or have the most impact. But uh, that's, that's always a learning process, too, because we're all a little bit different in, mm-hmm. in, in, in how we can connect with each other and how we can, can, can value and work with each other. But I, 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 uh, it's been a rewarding, rewarding focus area too. Uh, yeah, and it's one that never you never become an expert at, really, because there's however many billion people, and like you said, we're all a little bit different. So, <laughs> a- absolutely, and and uh, you, you have to learn to to communicate with people, connect with them the way that resonates with them too, and and so that's the challenge when you when you do you, on any given day, I can can talk to. You know, 200 people, and each are that slightly different way of of uh, of really uh, connecting and getting to know each other. Absolutely. What are you reading that we should read, or have you read? Yeah. Not to be right now. Sorry. Yeah. No, and and uh, I, I am a I am a huge reader, and uh, I, I'll tell you, and I, I offer this up to the classes I talk to, whether it's LR, uh, ALS or or FTAC, you know, that's, that's part of how I maintain balance in my life is, is by, by reading because it's something that I enjoy. Okay. But I, but I found as I have been in some of my, my jobs recently that I didn't have time to read, that I was, uh, it, it was always overcome by events, no matter how I tried to carve time out for it. So that's where I, I shifted to, I, I, I listen to books now. I listen to audio books more than, uh, uh, than I ever used to, and uh, so that way I, I, I'm getting through books when I'm uh, when I'm driving places, but or in particular, 
I, I like to run and I listen to books while I'm running over at the uh, over at the fitness center on the on the treadmill. That's been rewarding for me because it also it, it's really positive in that it makes me so there's some mornings I don't want to get out of bed and go to the <laughs> fitness center. But if I'm the, if I'm listening to a good book, then it, that works together to to motivate me to get there. So I just finished a, a great book I, I, I listened to was uh, was General Mattis's book that just came out, Call Sign Chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I thought that was fantastic because he he actually broke out leadership based on his career into three different areas, direct leadership, uh, executive leadership, and strategic leadership. And that direct leadership was when he was down as a, a company commander, as a Marine company commander, you know, that, that, uh, that very tactical level. The executive was when he was more as a colonel or a, a junior general officer. And then that strategic leadership was when he was a four-star and then the secretary of defense. So I think he, he came across with some, some very practical lessons and, uh, that we can all apply. I appreciate it. He, he, he really focused on, he called it the three C's, competence, caring, and connection. And, and that's how he would, he would work. Uh, and that was really in that direct leadership as a, as a company commander. He needed to, uh, he needed to be competent and uh, you know lead by example mm-hmm. he said uh, you, you know your your soldiers your marines your airmen need to know that you care about them and then you need to find ways to connect with with uh, those you lead your peers those above you uh, in, in order to be the most effective you can be so that that was that was that was a great read yeah i haven't read it myself but i know of the book so now i'm going to have to check it out for sure and, and he was in he was in town last night i think some folks uh, here on the base i think the comp squadron was able to to go down there i know uh see my certain hatcher over in the yep, uh, IG. In, in it made it made it down there to get a pic he was showing off to get a picture with him this morning which is crazy. awesome yeah. i mean he he lives right down the road about what three four hours something like that he does and in fact in his in his book he talks a lot about growing up here in washington state uh, out by the Columbia River, so it's uh, yeah, it, it, it was great. But I appreciate it because there was sometimes some some of these leadership books can be very philosophical mm-hmm. and, uh, and and kind of tell you lead from the front, do your best, you, you know, get to know your people, all of the things that I think we all inherently know, but they're difficult to do. Mm-hmm. I always appreciate those those books that give you practical means to implement mm-hmm. those. Uh, those those leadership tips and, and a lot of times they're they're learned by experience and, and General Mattis was very open there too about uh, successes he's had but but also the failures that things he could have done better. Wow, yeah, can't wait to read it now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have three takeaways that we can leave the listener with from your experiences or from your leadership thoughts? Yeah, no, thanks, Lance, and and I'll, I'll tell you these are some of the, the takeaways that that I give to, to ALS and into the FTAC uh, classes when I have the opportunity. When I was a squadron commander, I, I had the opportunity to give the ALS speech at the, at the dinner yeah, there, yeah. The, at the graduation dinner. So I was very appreciative of that. And so it, it forced me to, to kind of really give three thought processes that I, mm-hmm. that I have regarding to, to leadership. And at the time I was a, the OSS squadron commander, the operations support squadron. Which, if you're not familiar with that, the squad it's the squadron and the operations group that really, as the name suggests, handles all the support functions. That's air traffic control, 
It's uh, aircrew flight equipment, it's intel, it's weather, it's tactics, it's uh, uh, crew comm, all those pieces that come together. But each, uh, almost little different tribes there mm-hmm. because they're they're all very different from each other, but all sit under one squadron. And so, and, and at the time, we also had a had a FTU, a formal training unit. And okay. so that really, as I as I led this, uh, I had the very fortunate to 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 lead this this incredible team. What I always tell folks, what I always tell people that when when I talk about being an OSS squadron commander, going in, I could never be never be the best whatever in the squadron. So if you if you grew up in in a flying squadron, you're a flying squadron commander. There is a chance you could be the best pilot in in the flying squadron. Mm-hmm. But in an OSS, there was no way I could be the best air traffic controller, intel officer, <laughs> weather officer, aircrew flight equipment officer. I did, so it had to boil leadership down to its very basic level, mm-hmm. and uh, and that was an incredibly uh, rewarding experience for me. But it, and again, it allowed me to focus my my takeaways. So. So one one of the one of the, the flights we had in the OSS was our formal training unit where we taught young pilots how to fly the mm-hmm. the, the C five and so one of the discussions we had we were upgrading the C five and it had a lot of automation to it so very advanced autopilot and, and different kinds of displays but what we would also teach our pilots is that they had to uh, learn be competent in hand flying the aircraft in case that automation doesn't work and so when when I took that discussion, and one of my one of my leadership tenets is to turn off the autopilot. And so, again, as you as you're training, a lot of times you'd want to put on the autopilot for the aircraft. But what happens when you turn on the autopilot? It fl- it flies very smooth and straight, but but no changes. Mm-hmm. You, you know, and I think as leaders, our, our job is to is to drive some change. Sure, uh, flying very straight and level is comfortable, but but it's 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 not you're missing opportunities potentially you're 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 not exploiting things emerging trends that uh, that maybe will benefit the organization so so I, my tenant my leadership tenant hey every once in a while you have to turn off the autopilot you have to yeah. you have to hand fly you have to challenge things a little bit more ask those smart questions uh, identify problems but, but come with a solution and and that's how we 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 get better and then i, I extend that a little bit too when I talk to, in particular, our younger airmen that uh, that like to communicate via technology, <laughs> and technology is, is yeah. great. You know, yeah. this this technology we have with the autopilot is fantastic. But I always encourage leaders and supervisors to really get to know their airmen. Go beyond the Facebook update. Go mm-hmm. beyond just the text and really connect and get to know each other. And that's you have to turn off the autopilot to make that happen. You have to have to remove that technology to really build some of those relationships. So that's that's kind of the first first leadership tenet that I have. The second one, I really value physical fitness. In fact, uh, one of the leadership articles I send out talks about really all the benefits of physical fitness just in terms of you, you'll see it Essentially, if you have the discipline to, to go to the gym or, or stay to a, a physical fitness regimen, mm-hmm. all the other negative indicators that, that, uh, that you may be concerned with, whether it's uh, DUIs, whether it's uh, you know, absentee from work, all of those will improve in an organization if you, if you focus on, on physical fitness, which it seems, uh, seems a pretty basic way to, to, to kind of organize things. But when I was in, in the OSS, uh, one of our flights... The aircrew flight equipment flight, they had a very robust 
physical fitness program. And, and I always appreciate this because mm-hmm. aircrew flight equipment, as the name suggests, they are there to ensure that all the life support on an aircraft works. It's very detail-oriented. You have to get it right because if, if you don't, the oxygen masks aren't going to work. They're not going to work for the crew or the passengers. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the life raft may not have all the survival supplies in there that, you, that you'd expect. So very detail-oriented and it's checking thousands of things every day, every week to make that all happen. So discipline was very important to them, discipline, disciplined approach. And they had a very disciplined PT program and I would go over there and be a part of it. And it was, it was tough too, even as somebody who was, uh, uh, you know, took an interest in being physically fit. But I always remember there was uh, the, the NCOs and the senior NCOs as we ran these different drills, did these different drills, they'd always say, run through the finish line run through the finish line. Mm-hmm. And I, I've taken that as a, as a leadership, uh, leadership tenant too, because I appreciate people who run through the finish line, whatever that finish line is. If it's a project that we've asked them to do, that they see it through all the way to the end. If mm-hmm. it's uh, welcoming a new airman or a new airman and family, run through the finish line to ensure that they are, are cared for and that uh, we have really really uh, welcome them the way that we should. And running through the finish line is tough, right? It's it's tough because yeah. we all, sometimes we want to pull up at the end or we want to say, hey, I don't have any more to give. But as leaders, that's, that's what we have to do because we have to be there for our, for those that we're leading. And we have to have that energy. We have to have that commitment. We have to have that drive to be there when other people are getting tired, when other people don't have as much to give, yeah. that as a leader, we have to set that tone going forward. So so I always value those those people who run through the finish line, and that's what I always try to try to do myself too. My last tenant, and I, I, I really uh, enjoy this story. So we had a, a, a tower and a radar approach control at, at my squadron, which is at, at Dover Air Force Base. And we had the Secretary of the Air Force that was coming to visit us, and we were going to uh, bring her up. Uh, Secretary James, so this was a few years ago. Mm-hmm. We were going to bring her up into the into the tower cab, and we were going to show her how the we were rebuilding the runway, which was a pretty extensive uh, project, and then just give her a really quick brief about what our air traffic control operations were. And so we'd practice it, we'd rehearse it. I had a sharp NCO who's going to be given the brief, and, and mm-hmm. I was excited about it. We went up there, and the brief was going great. We were pointing out all of the work we were doing on the on the, the runway and, and about the operations up there, and the NCO was, was, was crushing it. And we turned to the end and asked Secretary James, ma'am, do you have any questions for us? She goes, I just have one. And her gaze went to out over the window, over the looking out over the runway. And in between a couple of monitors, there was a row of about eight to ten rubber duckies. The 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 bath toy that you would find <laughs> there. So, and, and, and that's what they were. They were just lined up right there. And she goes, what are those rubber duckies doing up there? And at that point, that was the first time I noticed them. And so I, I, uh, I, I stopped here. I was like, oh, probably the blood drained from my face. I, I was like, I, I have no idea what they're doing up there. But uh, the air traffic controller, without skipping a beat, said, ma'am, those ducks are up there to remind us to keep our ducks in a row. So as we have, uh, you know, the pattern here can get busy. We can have aircraft coming in that are having emergencies, that are short on fuel, that need training. And we have to sequence those and prioritize them. We have to 
make sure it, it all lines up so that everybody can recover safely. We have to keep our ducks in a row, and that's what those rubber duckies remind us. So I talk to really airmen of, of any rank and remind them to keep their ducks in a row. And it gets back to this, these points about balance here, mm-hmm. right? As you grow in, in rank or in life, you have different responsibilities. You'll have different professional responsibilities. You have different family responsibilities. You have different uh, hobbies or interests. And we have to work to keep those all lined up, all those ducks in a row as, yes. as we go forward. And it's a challenge. We talked about earlier. It's something to be deliberate about. But uh, but th- those are my three key takeaways. Okay. Turn off turn off the autopilot, run through the finish line, and, and keep your ducks, ducks in, a in a row. Awesome. Thank you. Now, from the wing command position, what has been the biggest surprise and what has been the biggest challenge of this job? I think, I think the biggest surprise that I've seen is really some some of the big large muscle movements that we think we put a lot of focus on a lot of attention on like mobility guardian mm-hmm. maybe the air show those are actually the, the, the smoothest and <laughs> and it's it maybe a little bit counterintuitive at times because it uh, you would think that there's so many moving pieces that 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 would be where where we have the the, the most issues or concerns but but really what i found it's it's those things maybe you aren't aren't expecting things you think are going to are going to be pretty easy sometimes we've had some projects that that uh think oh that should be easy to 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 yep to to (laughs) clean up to just to to knock it out but there's there's always something where we we didn't consider this or we have to deconflict with that and Mm -hmm. and and that that has been that that has been a, a surprise to me that's forced me to, to reorient my my approach to things. The details matter. Uh, uh, everything is important. Everything's important to somebody and to, and to give it the proper attention as, as we uh, as we go forward. Ducks have to be in a row, right? That, that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And uh, uh, I think the biggest challenge that uh, we continue to have to get after you know communication is always a challenge I think we've we've touched on that here in 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 this interview but uh, my my biggest challenge or what I spend a lot of time on is is trying to connect the airmen here at Team Fairchild to the mission and to communicate that effectively mm-hmm. and what I really appreciate is when we offer incentive flights to our community leaders to to to, to other airmen and mm-hmm. I appreciate those incentive flights because I get a little bit of time before the flight to, to talk to whoever's going on the flight. And what I really value during that time is that I can look at, at every airman who might be going on that flight, or I can express to every community leader how it takes the entire team here at Fairchild to, to make those, those, those missions go. And, yeah. and a lot of times those missions are the most visible sign of what we do here at Fairchild. Did the, did right. the plane take off? Did it, not? did it refuel or did it not? And we see the operators and we may see the maintainers out there. We, we may see the, the fuels professionals fueling up the aircraft, but that's just such a small piece of it. But behind all of those airmen, they have to be defended. They have to be fed. They have to be housed. They have to have work on the infrastructure here. They have to be professionally developed. They have to uh, be bragged about by public affairs. Uh, the, the one I always point to, they have to be paid. So finance, they have to be <laughs> yeah. paid. Because if, if you are paid, all of us, we are paid. That's kind of what we're thinking about. Maybe not, not the mission as much. But uh, every airman here has an incredibly important role to play. And so it's a, it's a constant challenge to, to keep articulating that, to keep connecting it. 
connecting the airmen to the mission to, to know that uh, uh, what you do here, we, we can't do the global reach for America, like our, our hangar says. Yeah. We can't do that if everybody's not rowing in the same direction, if everybody's not uh, not doing their job, not doing what they were trained to do. And and so when I step back, and what's also very rewarding for me is is in my position, I get to see that yeah. Uh, yeah. From, from the wing, and it is awesome. It is awesome to see. It's awesome to be a part of the team. So it's a, uh, it's a challenge, but every challenge is an opportunity to. And uh, I, I really appreciate and enjoy being able to get after it. I know exactly what you're saying with that. Going over to this position from maintenance, seeing a totally different squadron, putting myself in their shoes and seeing how they connect with the mission, the motivation that you as a leader have to give each of those different work centers is a little bit different depending upon where you're at in that chain of events to make the wings mission happen. And it's, I gotta tell you, the the more people I've had the chance to interact with because of this position, yeah, it's it's really awe-inspiring. And especially when you see the dudes that maybe they're maybe they don't have the glamorous job. Maybe they have the necessary job that everybody really uses every single day, but nobody really thinks about it. The dudes that do that and go to work every day with a smile on their face, making it happen, and nobody necessarily recognizes them. They don't get the thank yous, they don't, you know, those guys are awesome. They, yeah, they are absolutely awesome, and and uh, and and they they're they're just great Americans who go great airmen, yeah. and they they get the mission done, and and so uh, yeah, I'm I'm very grateful, and very thankful to serve with them. Well, any last attacks? No, thanks for the opportunity here, Lance. This was a a, a great discussion, and uh, I just appreciate the opportunity to share some 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 insights that uh, that I, I've learned along the way. So thanks for doing this. Well, thank you, Colonel Salmi. You're awesome. Appreciate it. And that's it. So that's it. This is uh, the Refuel Team Fairchild podcast. Again, I'm your host, Master Sergeant Lance Haas. If you have a show idea or anybody that you would like to hear from on this show, please contact us at refuelteamfairchild at gmail.com.